Good evening. Tensions are growing in Ukraine as Russia says it's withdrawing its troops and a cyber attack strikes uh, Ukraine's government computers. We speak with someone who uh, was involved with the breakup of Ukraine and the Soviet Union later in the cast. A Palestinian family is deprived of its home as Nancy Pelosi visits the country and makes an ironclad uh, claim of support for Israel. And we have the latest on the CDC's uh, campaign to keep us wearing our masks. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Wednesday, February 16th, 2022. The United States and NATO says Russia is still building up troops around Ukraine today, despite Moscow's insistence it's pulling back, putting into question President Vladimir Putin's stated desire to negotiate a solution to the crisis. Secretary of State Antony Blinken speaking this morning. Well, there's what Russia says and then there's what Russia does. And we haven't seen any pullback of its uh, forces. Uh, they remain masked in a very threatening way along Ukraine's borders. Uh, I, it would be good if uh, they followed through on what they said, but so far we haven't seen it. And that's the Secretary of State. Meanwhile, Ukrainians raised national flags and played the country's anthem today to show unity against fears of a Russian invasion. The Western powers say could be imminent. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky. We are all united by our wish to live live in peace, to live a happy life with our families, parents and kids. We have the full right to do all this because we are at home here in Ukraine. Nobody will love our home as much as we do and nobody can defend our home as we can. I wish you a happy Unity Day, my blue-yellow ones. A happy day of unity of Ukraine in the east and west, in the south and north. It works only together. And when it works, we're strong. And as the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, nevertheless, Russia's defense ministry says its forces, part of a huge buildup that's been accompanied by demands to the West for sweeping security guarantees, were pulled back after exercises in southern and western military districts near Ukraine. It published video, it says, shows tanks, infantry fighting vehicles, and self-propelled artillery units leaving the Crimean Peninsula, which was seized by Moscow from Ukraine in 2014. But NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg said moving trucks and tanks back and forth didn't amount to proof of a pullout. We have uh, heard the signs from Moscow about... Uh readiness to continue diplomatic uh, efforts. But so far, uh, we have not uh, seen any de-escalation on the ground. On the contrary, it appears that Russia continues the military build-up. And we have not received any response to our written uh, document, our written proposals uh, that we uh, sent uh, to Russia on the 26th of uh, January, uh, outlining the topics and items where NATO allies are ready to sit down and discuss with Russia and to try to find a political path uh, forward. We will continue to convey a very clear message to Russia that uh, we are ready to sit down and, uh, and discuss with them. But at the same time, we are prepared for the worst. If Russia once again invades Ukraine, they will pay a high price. And we will continue to expose uh, Russia's uh, plans and actions uh, to make it harder for them to conduct, conduct aggressive actions against Ukraine. I really hope that Russia will 
engage in meaningful dialogue and uh, choose uh, diplomacy instead of confrontation, we are ready to sit down and uh, find a political solution. Stoltenberg later said NATO could prove Russia's failure to pull back its troops with satellite imagery. And the United States government said a cyber attack that hit the Ukrainian defense ministry, that's the government of Ukraine, said a cyber attack that hit its defense ministry was the worst of its kind the country had seen. It pointed a finger at Russia, which denied involvement. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says U.S. officials were as yet unable to say who was responsible for the cyber attack. Cyber attribution takes time, in part because adversaries usually try to hide their tracks and it takes time to gather and analyze relevant information. These types of incidents, DDoS incidents, can be particularly hard, harder to trace. But we have also been in close touch with our Ukrainian counterparts to offer support in the investigation and response to these incidents. You may have seen the statement from Ukraine Ministry of Defense that the United States and other partners immediately reached out with support and that some sites are coming back online. And I would note again, as I said yesterday, we've been warning for months, both publicly and privately, in our engagements with the Ukrainians and the Europeans, that uh, the potential for Russia to conduct cyber operations uh, in Ukraine uh, it was part of their playbook as well. In related news, Russian news agencies have been reporting the discovery of a mass grave in the breakaway region of the country where Russian-backed militias have been fighting an insurgency against Ukraine's army. The TASS news agency reports more than 130 mass graves of civilians were found in the self-proclaimed Donetsk People's Republic, according to news conference by the pro-Russian government of the region. The White House press secretary accused Russia of a false flag operation claiming non-existent attacks on Russians to justify an invasion. Comment on uh, Russia's investigation into claims of alleged mass graves of civilians supposedly killed by Ukrainian forces in the Russian-controlled regions in eastern Ukraine. Do you believe this is part of the, of the false flag oper- operations that you've been warning of? Sure. Well, let me start by saying, uh, as you heard the president say yesterday and Secretary Blinken earlier today, we're in the window where we believe an attack could come at any time, uh, and that would be preceded by a fabricated pretext that the Russians use as an excuse to launch an invasion. And we've seen, and we've talked about this a bit in here, we've seen these tactics used in the past. So those could include, but not be limited to, the report you just referenced, claims of provocation in Donbass, false state media reports, which I think you should all, everybody should keep their eyes open and aware of that potential, uh, faked videos, false accusations about chemical weapons or accounts of attacks on Russian shoulders that have not actually occurred. So there could be a range of false flags and pretexts that we would expect would uh, precede uh, an invasion. Uh, And again, we remain in that window. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, Professor Emeritus of International Law at Ohio State is John Quigley. He worked with the State Department and the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe on developing plans for Crimea, a part of Russia only recently, then part of Ukraine, and then occupied by Russian forces in 2014. Quigley says Crimea is just one of the thorny issues with Ukraine. He says NATO's Article 5, its mutual self-defense clause, is another problem, especially with modern warfare like cyber attacks, not foreseen by NATO's founders. Crimea had been part of Russia since the late 18th century, beginning of the 19th century. It had never been part of Ukraine until the 1960s when uh, Khrushchev switched it into Ukraine from Russia, from the Russian Federation, when, when you had the Russian Republic as part of the USSR and Ukraine as part of the USSR. Um, 
So its history has been more as part of Russia than as part of of Ukraine. Um, And the population there was not very happy about being in Ukraine once the Soviet Union split up. Um, So I I thought that that there was good reason for Crimea to be part of Russia. In the 1990s, when I was involved as a, a representative of the Conference on Security and Cooperation, uh, in Europe, the, the issue was that Ukraine did have Crimea, and the, and the question was whether there should be some kind of autonomy, uh, which Ukraine was never very willing to allow. And that's the issue now with regard to the Donbass, the the region of Ukraine that is is at issue presently, that that region has been seeking more autonomy. The Minsk agreement that that was brokered by the major powers a few years back calls for that. And Ukraine has not been willing to do that. That's the real issue here, in addition to the NATO issue. And it would be incumbent on the government of Ukraine to talk with the authorities in the Luhansk and Donetsk quasi-states or whatever you want to call the areas that are in revolt against the government of Ukraine. That hasn't happened. And then with regards to NATO and the government of Ukraine joining or not joining NATO, what Mr. Blinken and the NATO authorities have been saying is that it is the sovereign right of Ukraine to join NATO, which is a kind of argument I have frankly never heard before. That is that there would be an international organization and some other state has a sovereign right to join it. That makes absolutely no sense. And I think when NATO and the United States are saying something to Russia, that is so obviously absurd, it encourages the Russian government to, to uh, further brinkmanship. Reports of cyber attacks, and uh, what is the danger of Article 5? NATO authorities seem to be saying that Article 5 of the NATO treaty could be triggered by cyber attacks. Article 5 is the article that says an attack on one is an attack on all. That makes it a mutual defense treaty. The understanding was that an attack meant a military attack. And now we have a new kind of potential warfare by cyber means, which can be very serious. But I think it's not what was intended in the NATO treaty. That is, a cyber attack might uh, warrant uh, some kind of retaliatory cyber measures, but it wouldn't warrant, let's say, a military action against Russia. Can Article 5 be so widely interpreted? No, that's a good question. And there's some basis for your suggestion. When you have a term like that, and then you have some new development in the world that wasn't contemplated at the time the language was written, can you bring the new situation within that term? And it's not beyond the realm of possibility. So NATO might have a point. The problem is when you expand self-defense more than self-defense was intended to mean, you open the way of warfare. 
self-defense sounds like a nice thing. You're defending yourself. But if you say you're defending yourself, let's say, against weapons of mass destruction in Iraq where the weapons don't really exist, then self-defense becomes a weapon of war. And that is John Quigley, Professor Emeritus of International Law at Ohio State. On a lighter note, some Trump supporters are attempting to break up the newfound bipartisan atmosphere in Washington since the Ukraine crisis sprouted. Fox Business host Maria Bartiromo claims the Ukraine crisis may have been manufactured to distract voters from recent charges in Fox-owned news outlets that Hillary Clinton was involved in spying on the former president. Was this whole thing an effort to take everybody's attention away from what Hillary Clinton did and what we know to be uh, a, a complete hoax over this Russia investigation? What are your thoughts? Because I know Jake Sullivan worked for Hillary Clinton and he was one of the people who was peddling this uh, Russia collusion lie for four years. And there he is now as NSA uh, coming up with this hysteria over Russia. And that is Maria Bartiromo, the Fox Business News host. Meanwhile, world stocks edged lower while oil and gas rose as investors responded warily to the continued tensions. The price of oil has edged close to $100 a barrel the first time since 2014. And a Palestinian man was killed by Israeli gunfire yesterday in a flashpoint village in the occupied West Bank. The Palestinian Health Ministry said the shooting took place during clashes in Nebi Saleh, a village where residents have held numerous demonstrations over the years against the expansion of a nearby Israeli settlement. The Israeli military said it opened fire after dozens of Palestinians approached an army post and threw rocks at troops. In another confrontation on Tuesday, Israeli armed forces arrested a Palestinian civilian after demolishing his house near Yada, southern Hebron, in the West Bank. While confronting the soldiers, the owner of the house, Kamal Abu Hussein, was arrested and taken into custody while the home was destroyed. As this was happening, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is visiting Israel during a news conference. She claims U.S. support for Israel is ironclad. The U.S. remains ironclad, I keep using that word, in our support of Israel's security and its regional stability. Israel's proximity to Iran is a concern to all of us. And we are a responsibility for all of us. Israel seized the West Bank and East Jerusalem in the 1967 Mideast War, and some 700,000 Israeli settlers live in the two areas. The Palestinians seek both areas as part of a future independent state. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. And the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, is battling the impression that it's okay to stop wearing masks as states, including blue states like New York and New Jersey, have recently ended most of their mandates to wear the often hated face coverings that help stop the spread of COVID-19. Today, CDC Director Dr. Rachel Walensky urged Americans to keep wearing masks, even as she announced the fading of the recent Omicron variant surge. The current seven-day daily average of cases is about 147,000 cases per day, a decrease of about 40% over the previous week. 
The seven-day average of hospital admissions is about 9,500 per day, a decrease of about 28% over the previous week. And the seven-day average of daily deaths are about 2,200 per day, which is a decrease of about 9% over the previous week. Omicron cases are declining, and we are all cautiously optimistic about the trajectory we are on. Things are moving in the right direction, but we want to remain vigilant to do all we can so that this trajectory continues. We want to give people a break from things like mask wearing when these metrics are better, and then have the ability to reach for them again should things worsen. If and when we update our guidance, we will communicate that clearly, and it will be based on the data and the science. However, it's also important to remember, regardless of the level of disease burden in your community, there are still very important times to continue to wear your mask. I know that everyone is anxious to move beyond this pandemic and some of the ways we have had to change the way we live over the last two years. We all share the same goal, to get to a point where COVID-19 is no longer disrupting our daily lives, a time when it won't be a constant crisis, rather something we can prevent, protect against, and treat. Dr. Rachel Walensky, Dr. Anthony Fauci added his determination that recent data shows that booster shots of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are safe and effective, 78% effective, up to five months after taking the jab. It has come down over a period of time. You could see it go from 91 to 88 to 78. Nonetheless, the level of 78 is still a good protective area. As I'll get to soon, I'll show you what that means looking forward. But I do want to mention on the next slide the safety of this, because we often get asked that. If you look at the CDC from February 11th and look at their monitoring systems, the V-SAFE and the VAERS, it's very clear that for people 18 years of age or older who've seen the same mRNA vaccine brand for all of their vaccinations, they actually experience fewer adverse reactions following the booster dose than they did after the second dose. And in fact, 92% of reports to VAERS, which is all adverse events related or not, are not considered serious. And headache, fever, and muscle pain were the most frequently reported reactions. And the V-SAFE data found medical care was rarely received after a booster dose. And that's Dr. Anthony Fauci speaking earlier today. And one of three Minneapolis police officers charged with federal civil rights violations in George Floyd's killing took the stand on uh, today on their tra- at their trial. J. Alexander Kung is the second of the former officers to testify. Kung, Thomas Lane, and Tao Thao are charged with violating Floyd's constitutional rights when Officer Derek Chauvin pressed his knee into Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes as the 46-year-old black man was handcuffed face down in the street. Kung knelt on Floyd's back, Lane held his legs, and Tao kept bystanders back. Earlier on Wednesday, Tao testified that he knew Floyd's pleas uh, that he could not breathe were becoming weaker but still didn't realize Floyd was in danger, even as bystanders became increasingly vocal. Family attorney Ben Crump says a trial is key to putting police culture on trial. Derek Chauvin conviction was important. However, the culture of policing has to be held accountable. And, you know, oftentimes they say, 
you know, where this was one bad apple, they're the good cops, where the good cops have to speak up when they see the bad cops uh, violate the constitutional rights of minorities and kill us. And so this trial is very important because we're looking now at the culture of policing in America. And just like with Amir Lott, the policy killed Amir more than those bullets. Well, the policy and the culture of policing killed more black people than oftentimes the bullets. Family attorney Ben Crump, Tao, Kung, and Lane are accused of depriving Floyd of medical care. Kung and Tao are further accused of failing to intervene to stop the killing. And on the Lower East Side of Manhattan yesterday, there was outrage and frustration within the Asian community that boiled over at a rally just steps from where Christina Yuna Lee, 35, was savagely murdered in her apartment over the weekend. Terrence Park, a Korean community leader from Flushing, railed at the rally in Sarah D. Roosevelt Park. How many more have to be punched in the face, slashed in the face, pushed in front of trains? How many more of us has to be spitted in the face before we feel dignified human beings? How many more of us has to be punched, slashed in the face? To feel safe. How many more of us has to be pushed into the coming train to be killed in horror? How many more of us has to be stabbed and bleed to death to feel no more pains? I don't care whether the perpetrator is a mentally ill or not. We want to be safe. We want to be protected. We all want to go home where mom and dad and children and wives are waiting at the dinner table. We want protection. We want safety. We want it now. Three score and 17 years ago in Montgomery, Alabama, there was a lady, brave lady, who stood up for the rights of human beings who suffered through the hundred years. Ms. Rosa Paul refused to give up her seat to the identify bus driver for those who had suffered many hundred years because it was the right thing to do. It was morally right to America. And we as a people, white, black, Asian, Jews and Gentiles all get together in the name of solidarity. We stood up together, lifted up the torch of equality and justice. And we need justice now. We need equality now of safety and overflowing love in our street. I want you to say after me, and I say, Stop Asian killing! Stop Asian killing! Stop Asian killing! Stop Asian killing! We want protection! We want protection! We want protection! We want protection! And that's Terrence Park. He's with the um, 
He's a Korean community leader from Flushing. The press conference was held by the city's Korean community. The tragic victim, Lee, was of Korean descent from New Jersey. She had lived on Christie Street between Grand and Broome Street for the past year, a graduate of Rutgers University. She was a digital producer. Her alleged murderer, Asamad Nash, 25, also from New Jersey, was reportedly living at the Bowery Mission just five blocks away. According to police, Nash slipped into the building right behind Lee early Sunday morning around 4.30 a.m., after she had been dropped off by an Uber following a night out. Nash trailed Lee up six flights of stairs and forced his way into her apartment. Police said he stabbed her 40 times. It was the second killing in the neighborhood in recent months. In October, a 51-year-old immigrant Grubhub's bicycle delivery man was stabbed to death, also in Sarah Delano Roosevelt Park. And two city council people, Linda Lee and Sandra Ung, were there at the rally as well. They said they've been preparing for a day like this. As well as my colleagues, we have a large burden on our shoulders right now, and we need to step up to the plate. We need to make sure that the city's dollars, your taxpayer dollars, are being spent wisely and actually go to serve the communities that need it the most. We need to expand our mobile health emergency units, our response units. We need to partner with NYPD. Uh, We need to work with folks in the community to make sure that people feel safe to be able to go home and not get attacked violently. And so I just want to thank all of you. Um, We have to rise to the call. We were put here for such a time as this, right? And so we got to answer the call and we have to respond and work together to build, build, build bridges. So thank you so much again. Thank you, Linda. Uh, next, I'd like to introduce uh, Councilwoman Sandra Ong. Sandra has been a, a public servant, really helping Congresswoman Grace Meng, who has also been a tireless, tireless champion. Um, fighting against Asian hate, and Sandra is newly elected as city council member representing Flushing, where a lot of Asian Americans reside. So, Sandra. Thank you, Charles. Uh, my name is Sandra Ong. I represent District 20, uh, out in Queens and Flushing. And uh, I have notes here because I can't believe you're standing here again. Um, because I wish this was such a regular occurrence. You know, uh, we're here again. Less than a month after many of us came together to mourn the death of Michelle Go. Like, how much more do we have to do this? My heart breaks for the family because at the end of the day, a family lost their daughter. But we cannot become numb and we cannot accept these crimes as status quo. New Yorkers deserve to walk out streets while being fear of attack. In the coming weeks, the period that NYPD and the prosecutors investigate all all potential motives for this horrendous crime ensure that justice is served. And just as importantly, as my fellow city council members, Linda and Julie said, we have to step up. We as elected officials have to step up and do our part to end these tragedies. Linda Lee and Sandra Ung speaking at the rally yesterday also represented at the event were Al Sharpton's National Action Network, as well as the group's 100 suits and community capacity development. Speakers, both Asian and black, stressed that now is the time to be united, not divided. The two co-presidents of the group Harlem Community Watch were on hand to lend support and also to condemn the alleged killer. Police say the attack was probably not racially motivated, but a sexual assault. Thanks to Lincoln Anderson of the Village Sun for contributing to this article. And 
And that's some of the news for Wednesday, February 16th, 2022. The news is produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.